He wishes to lie with me. Beg your pardon? You would be injured. No, I, I don't want to lie with you. Good. You would not be an effective mate. Hello and welcome back to Best Forgotten Movies, the podcast dedicated to dissecting the black sheeps of cinema. I'm your host, Lord Gareth of GreenClan, and joining me, as always, is my full-time co-host and part-time ring fiddler, Andrew Phillips. Oh, really sore. Yeah, when you're not tossing dwarfs, yeah. you're fiddling rings. Yeah. And for our latest episode, we're delving into a world of wizard swordplay and orc blood as we take on Warcraft. A film with no scenes containing either war nor arts and crafts. <laughs> what the fuck? Roll the trailer. I can feel it. Dark forces are upon us. Find these beasts, or whatever they are. If you thought the Hobbit trilogy was a poor imitation of Lord of the Rings, then you've yet to see Duncan Jones' Warcraft, a film with more fades and can be viewed at an alt-right Nazi rally. <laughs> Why have we nominated this could-be fantasy flop for consideration on Best Forgotten Movies? Well, for a start, it's Tomb Raider has recently been released at the cinema and we wanted to do our second video game-based movie, the first being Super Mario Brothers. It's technically our third game-based movie. Yes, uh, if we include Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, because I kind of feel like this is kind of in-betweeny. Yes. Warcraft is kind of a, a cross between, you know, your normal video game and your Dungeons and Dragons style of, yes. uh, of game. Like, it's literally a video game cross with a role player. Yes, it, it is. It's yeah. both. So, it's an interesting uh, hybrid. Yeah, and as we know, video game-based movies have done us well in the past. There's such a, a wealth of great movies to choose from. It yeah, seems there's like so many more to go through. Every year we're getting great video game-based yeah. movies. I mean, like Resident Evil, yeah. Resident Evil Apocalypse, all the Resident Evils. It's Resident Evil 11 now. <laughs> Well, I mean, what were some of the choices that we had? We we, we actually discussed films like Assassin's Creed yeah. as being a possible contender for this to marry up with Tomb Raider. And even the old Tomb Raider films themselves, uh, the ones starring Angelina Jolie. Yeah, and Chris Barry. And Chris yeah. Barry, of course. <laughs> yeah. And Daniel Craig. Yeah. Sorry, I mean, the Tomb Raider films starring Chris Barry. Yeah. I'd like to see Chris Barry in those ponytails holding those guns. Yeah, if Chris Barry needed to fire his agent at that time. Yeah. That, That's he, why he, he left Red Dwarf, Yeah, he did it. A, he did a Steve Coogan. Got a bit too big for his boots. Yeah, because Steve Keegan basically did a similar journey a few years after that and uh, ended up coming back with his tails between his legs. Yeah, his tails? And coming back to his rightful place. Yeah. And, and we did... At we did North con- Norfolk Digital. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we, when we, we we did consider Assassin's Creed, but we may do it later on, but it's almost too dull and forgettable to even do anything interesting on. It is, because I've seen Assassin's Creed the movie. And I had actually forgotten I'd seen it until you mentioned it as a possible contender <laughs> for this podcast episode. Yeah. And it was only then that I went, oh, no, 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 no. No. And for a film that it has the type of pedigree involved in it as that film does, from a production point of view, straight to a casting point of view, there's no reason for that film to be as dull as it is. Mm. Um, speaking of dull, this week we're reviewing Warcraft. Yeah. So, Andy, you watched the film this morning. I take it that was your first time drawing swords with Warcraft? Yep. It'll probably be the last time. (laughs) It is my second time. I actually went to the cinema to see this film on opening day, first screening of the film that day as well. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm that kind of guy. And uh, how many people were in the cinema with you? It was me and I think two other people. Wow. That's the kind of buzz that this property generated. And it was an IMAX showing as well. First day IMAX showing and it was me and a smattering of maybe two or three other people. (laughs) I got a VIP seat for that film. I had to book my seat three weeks in advance. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they're all going to sell out. But yeah, and for me, this is my second time at this film, so I've it's had some time to digest with me, and we'll get into what my immediate thoughts were at the time of first seeing it later on. But Andy, 
Do you have any past experience with Warcraft itself? Do you play the games? Have you played the games? Do you know what the games are or if there are games? Uh, nope, nope, and nope. I'm in exactly the same boat, really. Yeah. The most that I know about Warcraft are the cool cinematics that are released every couple of years regarding the games. They, via osmosis, work their way to me. I have no idea about the lore of this yeah. world, the background, the characters. So I'm approaching this purely from a film point of view and, and a story point and of view to be what honest, works in the it, film. We're approaching it as it should be. Yes. And this is a problem with a lot of video game adaptations is that they assume that the audience is the same audience that is involved with the property that they're making a film out of. And sometimes that can be the case, but a lot of the times that's not the case because yeah. you're dealing with two completely different formats. And I don't think they're as compatible as the studio heads think they are. No. I think studios think that they can apply the same means as they do comic book and novel adaptations as they do with video games. But I think they're an entirely different beast. And I don't think they've quite cottoned onto this because the way you play a video game, the way you immerse yourself and... Uh, the video game experience is very different to the other types of garnering, you know, properties. Because even comic books, you still read them in the same way you would read a book. And there is still space for you to bring your imagination yeah, to the table yeah. and fill in the blanks. Yeah. Whereas with video games, because it's much more proactive, mm -hmm. it's a very, very different experience. And yeah, I don't. They and that, I think that's the reason why a lot of these video game movies fail is because. The, yeah, the experience of playing a video game is always going to be much more exciting than yeah. watching a video game. Well, so far, looking at Rotten Tomatoes as I did today, the highest rated video game movie that I could find has 50%. Yeah. And that didn't even have enough reviews for a consensus. Yeah. So the, the one below it, which was Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within, had 45% with about 100 reviews. And that's a top end for Rotten Tomatoes. That's, that's mm. what we're looking at. So pretty much from a critical point of view, video game movies haven't enjoyed the same critical success as the likes of comic book movies have or the likes of other adaptions have. Yeah. And yet there is something about video game movies that they just keep missing. And I think part of it is that you don't need a good story or good characters to play a video game. Mm. It's about the experience of playing the video game and being in control of something or someone. You can forgive a lack of story if you are entertained by the actually playing the game. Whereas you can't forgive that when watching a film. But it seems that's the issue, that sometimes the biggest selling properties in video games are not the ones with the best stories or the best characters that are suited to a film. No, they have the best gameplay. Yes. And not to say that there aren't a lot of video games that do have very good stories, but I feel as well like the people that are responsible for the making of the films, not the actual filmmakers, mm -hmm. uh, or maybe a bit of both, they just don't take enough liberties with the material yeah. to make it work as a film. Because it is the same when you adapt a book. You have to generally take quite a lot of liberties to make it work in a film yeah. format. But I feel with the video game ones, they don't take enough. Mm -hmm. Even theme park adaptations have done better than video game adaptations. Even yes, if it's, yeah, absolutely. Even, so. even if it is just one film. Yeah. And obviously the first part is the Caribbean film. It took a lot of liberties with the material because it had even less to work on. Yeah. than a video game adaptation. So it kind of had a little bit more freedom in terms of to make up new characters mm -hmm. and situations. And I feel this is something that they just need to do a lot more. I mean, in a weird way, Super Mario Brothers, it probably works better than some because it does take some liberties. Yeah, it does. But it kind of in the wrong way. It kind of goes yes. in the wrong direction with it. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, you can still go in completely the wrong yeah. direction, taking liberties with these properties, definitely. Yeah, at least it tried. Yes. Whereas some of the later ones, they don't try at all. Doom's quite a bad one for that, yes. isn't it? Really? Oh, it is, yeah. And and just as my last thing about video game movies, but I think of even some of the best games that I've played, like uh, my favourite series is, I mean, I love Resident Evil, but my favourite series is the Metal Gear Solid series, and those have incredibly in-depth stories and incredibly layered characters to some degree, <laughs> not including the women in those games, <laughs> who are mostly just scantily clad. But I could never imagine them turning that into a film because you would have to cut out so much to make it that you might as well make something original mm. with some of the basic ideas from Metal Gear Solid. 
that would work as a film. You've hit the nail on the head with a lot of franchise movies anyway, including this one, really, because with a lot of franchise films, it becomes painfully clear that this should be its own thing. Yeah. But they've had to use the name to get it yes. made. But yeah, it's, it's, it, that's business, I suppose. That, that is business. The brand must conquer all. Yeah, and, and as we'll go into later, I feel that this film should have taken more liberties, but it's in that kind of strange middle ground where you've got a director who's wanting to change things versus a production company slash property owners that want to keep some sort of semblance of what they've created in there. Yeah. So you end up with something that's like a, a mishmash of the two and it doesn't... It doesn't quite it work. Try, it struggles to break free of those shackles. Yeah. So, to move on to Warcraft, we've talked about the landscape of video game movies. I could have spoke about Tomb Raider as well, but we'll save that for another day. Let's talk about Warcraft. What did you... Like you say, this was your first time with the film. What did you think of it? Well, I liked Denatar <laughs> and most of the Orc stuff, but everything else was incredibly underwhelming, and I've forgotten most of it already. Yes. <laughs> especially yeah. in terms of the human stuff, it's just so fucking generic. It's ridiculous and, and so paper thin yeah, and vapid and just, I've seen it so many times. And like I said, it's just, the film's literally in two halves and there's a really potentially compelling film in one half and an absolute waste of fucking time yeah. in the other half. And uh, unfortunately, the film is skewed slightly more towards the absolute waste of fucking time yes, section than, yeah, the, uh, definitely. than the, the potentially great section of the film. Mm -hmm. Which is weird because prior to watching the film, the trailer was the only experience I had of the film beforehand, which obviously was quite a while back now. But I still have certain memories of watching the trailer in my head. Whoever had put the trailer together obviously liked the orc stuff more than the human stuff yes, so yeah. it made it look like it was the orc story i think the film trailer actually opened with the lead orc what's his name Den denethor denethor yeah denethor, uh, I, I, denethor, denethor, denethor sorry yeah. i can't remember the name so uh, i found this film on first viewing to be impenetrable yeah it is <laughs> very much impenetrable and straight up and i've already said it but i'm just going to reiterate it that i have had no experience playing the actual game i don't have an idea about the law i'm going to apologize straight up if i get any of the terminology wrong regarding this game because when we did the dungeons and dragons episode i kept referring to it as a uh, as a board game and that <laughs> angered quite a lot of people I, I did get a few people messaging me on twitter saying um one person said that they were angered <laughs> said i liked the episode but i was angered every time you referred to dungeons and dragons as a board game so I do apologize straight up. If any of the terminology is wrong, it's on me, guys. At the same time, I'm not going to fucking apologize because the thing is, these movies do not do their jobs well enough because the thing is they've got to play to people who have no prior knowledge yes. of the world or the way it's played. And this film does a fucking horrendous job of doing that. Yeah. Like, you've always got to compare it to Lord of the Rings, not just in terms of content, but in the way that the film version has been put together. Because mm -hmm. I think with Lord of the Rings, I've only ever read the first book. Yeah. I hadn't read the other ones. I think I kind of gave up with it, actually. But those films do such a great job of telling their stories doing their world building yes. that it makes any other kind of attempt just look you so understand the geography yeah, straight it does from a the really off. does a really good job of establishing things it, i kind of feel with fantasy films they do need some sort of preamble yeah there's a slight preamble there's a slight narration at the start mm -hmm. but to be honest it's done in a way that is feels tacked on and it actually harms the film as well because yeah. it's one of those ones that assumes that the audience knows exactly what the situation is already because it presents it in the weird form of a flashback from the future. Yes. But told by a character who, by the time that happens, is already dead. Yes. So yeah. it's weird in that sense anyway. It's like a prologue, as you say, from the future that ultimately comes to have no bearing on the story itself. Yeah. It includes no characters from the story that are referenced in the story. It just gives you an idea of the world in which this film is building to. Yeah. The one thing I do know from the game, it gives you an idea of this PvP type element of the game, which is player versus player battles, mm. whereas a player as an orc and a player as a human get to fight. Yeah. And, and that means it's purely geared towards people who have played the games. Me, who hasn't played the game, I have no idea what this is supposed to mean yeah. or what I'm yeah. supposed to take away from this. What we need to be given at this point is not an idea of where this film is heading. The film will show us where it's heading as it goes on. 
we need an idea of the history of this world the histories of these people foundations for the story to take place on you know yeah i think the other thing we need to discuss at this point as well because of the way the narration's put towards the audience i feel like the whole intention of the film is fundamentally flawed before you do anything because for american audiences this film is called warcraft whereas in britain and other territories it was marketed as warcraft the beginning which even when it came out at the posters i thought oh this is a really bad decision yes it is and it's a bad decision in terms of the film because the, the film and obviously the advertising automatically assumes there's going to be a sequel and that is built into the film automatically mm-hmm. and the whole story is geared towards there being another one yeah it can't stand on its own and that still may or may not happen according mm. to some people but i do not think that it will include no. any of the people that were involved in this one i think duncan jones has been burnt on this film according to I read an article with him in Empire recently in which he was interviewed about Mute and he does refer to Warcraft in that interview and I don't have the specific quote here but he says it's a film that he's both proud of and not ashamed of but it it was an experience of filmmaking that was incredibly torturous for him but also one he is proud of that he managed to overcome as well. He's, he's proud of lots in this film, but not so proud of other bits. Mm. I feel like it was taken out of his hands very early on, and it was a battle throughout for him to make that film. Yeah. In a way, he was very much in the same position as as we see often, like your Josh Trank on Fantastic Four. Yeah, yeah. And even like Colin Trevorrow on Jurassic World, a, a director <laughs> I, I don't like. Yeah, he should not be mentioned in the same no, definitely phrase not. as those, the other two. At least he made a mid-budget studio film and it worked really well with Source Code. Yeah. He at least has that stepping stone where people yeah, like Colin Trevorrow and... Mark um, Webb. Mark Webb and, and uh, Josh Trank, they make these indie films for a couple of million and then are suddenly gifted $150 million to do the studio's bidding and, uh, and find it much harder. Is it John Watts? John Watts did The Amazing... No, no, uh, yes, oh, whatever the last Spider-Man... Oh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah, yeah. That's the one. Oh, God, there's I, I so think, many Spider-Man films. I think the only... The other, Spider-Man. Yeah, I think the only other person of recent mind I can think of that's actually comparable to Duncan Jones and probably actually more successful than Duncan Jones now is uh, Ryan Coogler. Definitely, yeah. In fact, Ryan Coogler is the most successful out of all of this bunch. Definitely. Because he's had much more critical success as well as financial success. Yeah, it seems like he's only grown to the task yeah. each time. And Whereas um, Duncan Jones now, I'm kind of a little bit on the fence with in terms of his overall skills because, I mean, Source Code is okay. Yeah. But Moon is his only kind of really solid film. See, I like Source Code quite a lot. It's not got the lasting power of Moon it's a bit more forgettable, but I liked watching it. It was yeah, very it's enjoyable. fine. It's it fine, was... but it's not like a. It's not an all timer, right? Yeah, or it's... and it, it's not like I say, it's not like Ryan Coogler doing Fruitvale Station, and... and then yeah, and then going to do Creed. Yeah, Creed. Yeah, and then obviously doing Black Panther. But yeah, I just feel like, and obviously the fact that now his his fourth films come out and not hit home. Yeah, and also just looking at the credits, I kind of feel like because Moon and Source Code weren't written by him. No, oh, so I'm right. thinking as well like is Duncan Jones the writer? And this is the same with Colin Trevorrow as well, because he didn't write Safety Not Guaranteed. But he also didn't write Book of Henry, and that is... Yeah. Oh, boy! Yeah, but he kind of had a more of a hand in it. Though, yes, he did. So I feel like, yeah, as a writer, yeah. especially with Mute as well coming out, and it seems to be... I, I think you've seen Mute. I've I have seen, seen Mute. The, the, the general consensus is that it's incredibly unfocused. I had a much more positive experience with Mute than many have had. It's certainly been divisive and more on the negative side I definitely think it's flawed. It's heavily flawed. It's definitely unfocused, but it's being torn apart like it's the last Transformers film. Yeah, yeah. I'd say it feels like emotionally charged from somebody who is emotionally going through the ringer while making this film. It feels like every scene is grappling with something emotionally in that way. And I at least feel like I'm sat there, I am watching somebody's vision, and I'm clearly watching somebody work something out through the medium of film. Yeah, yeah. And I walked away from that film feeling like I had taken a part of Duncan Jones with me. Yeah. For all of its faults, and it has many, I at least got something out of that film in that way. And there are a few films that you can watch that do that. Whereas I feel like because people focus more on the technical side of things and the more on how unfocused it is and stuff like that, I feel like they tore him down a little bit with that film. I think also following this film that we're talking about yes, now Warcraft, yeah. probably didn't do much favours. Yeah. I think if it had come after Source Code, it might have been a different story. And I think also as well, I think 
Mute has obviously suffered in the aftermath of Bright. Yes, because oh, it's, definitely. It's, it was like the next major Netflix film yes. to come out after. Yeah, Bright. there is a Netflix backlash at the moment. Yeah, and even with what's happened with Annihilation, a film yeah. which I loved but wish I would have seen on the cinema, it's like people are taking Netflix down a peg just for acquiring that film. Yeah, because I feel like it's kind of the view of Netflix now as as films. It's kind of like it's become a bit of a a backwater to shelter films that aren't worthy mm-hmm. of being on the big screen and yet you're getting films like Annihilation that are should be on the big screen yes but are just being you know muted to netflix because the studio chickened out and so it's, not, it's yeah. not netflix's fault so it's becoming a little bit of a pr disaster it is it is yeah and unfortunately yeah although yeah like you're saying mute has a lot of issues it's like it's become caught up in all that it has yeah definitely that, i'd say i agree with you that's the thing that's probably got people geared up about it but speaking of Warcraft as well, yeah. you did mention earlier on about Lord of the Rings being a good example of an adaptation of another source material. Lord yeah, of the Rings it, is it, a very dense, very expansive yeah. source material, yeah. And I remember my first time watching Fellowship of the Ring, I had not really read any fantasy novels. I did not have an opinion on the world of fantasy. It was something that was relegated to the I mean, I was a loser at school, but this was like the people below me in the in the in the social class at school. But when I saw Fellowship of the Rings, it really opened that door to fantasy for me. And even if I did not understand all of the references in Lord of the Rings, I found it easy to follow. I knew the world, I could follow the emotional journey of the characters. And what I didn't understand, I walked away from the cinema only wanting to find out more. And so by the time the next film came out, I'd already read the books. When I saw Warcraft, I walked out not knowing anything about that world still. I mean, I had phrases in my head like, the fell. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Names stuck in my head that escape me now. Yeah. And I still had no idea about this world, but I did not have any motivation or any impetus to find out more about this world. I should have been walking out of that cinema thinking, Warcraft is something I need yeah. in my life. In, in fact, it gives you negative motivation. It kind of made me think how naff some fantasy can be. Yeah. And with Lord of the Rings, it does what any good genre film does, is that it transcends the audience that it's initially made for and makes it accessible for anybody. Like, you know, Star Wars does the same thing. Even The Godfather mm-hmm. does the same thing. I think that's absolutely right. And the thing is about Lord of the Rings is that Peter Jackson knows what needs to be cut from the books for it to work as a film, but knows that he has to retain enough of it to still have that semblance of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And I do think even with um, any adaption, that is the ground that you've got to find. It's like this, uh, the Goldilocks area in terms of the planets. You know, it's like either side of this and an adaption fails. It needs to be in this magical middle ground where it's got just enough of the story for it to be something of its source material but also its own thing as well for it to work as a film. Yeah. And Lord Uh, of the Rings does that. Well, I feel like the key to that is you have to tell these particular stories with a very, 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 very strong emphasis on characters. Yes. The reason the films work in the way that they do is because people are invested in the characters and they care about what happens to them in this world. Yeah. Because to be honest you can strip back a lot of the trappings of Lord of the Rings, but at the end of the day, it's about, for example, when you're watching Return of the King, some of the best moments in Return of the King are little moments between Sam and Frodo, between Gandalf and Pippin. Those are the strongest parts of the film. Forget all the battle shit and Legolas surfing on on an elephant. Uh, I mean, that's the start of all the the bad shit. Yes. But the the real strong moments that make you kind of forgive those moments are the absolutely amazing parts that are just literally small scenes between two characters or a few characters. Yeah. And that's the stepping on point for a lot of people when they watch these kind of big genre epic films. Mm-hmm. and that's what makes them work so well so when you get films like warcraft <laughs> yes yeah. um the weird thing is as well with this film is that there are little moments like that in the film yes but there's literally just a handful you need hundreds of these moments yeah and this literally has like three <laughs> something like that uh so yeah it really fails on that point and and the thing is with these worlds to a kind of person who's not invested in them they can seem ridiculous so you do need these characters to really ground it yeah because i say if you don't have those characters the whole situation feels very silly it does ridiculous and i I feel like the issue is 
almost well it is exacerbated as well in regards to this kind of lack of character moments as well and the lack of characters in general um it's exacerbated by the fact that the film is quite poorly cast as well in terms mm. of its uh, human characters yeah and it's not so much that it includes bad actors i know that i forget the name of the lead guy but uh, he's... travis uh, Tra- uh, travis femmel that's it and vikings vikings yeah and yeah. He, he's He's always receiving lots of critical praise for his portrayal as the lead in Vikings. Yeah. And yet this is the first thing that I have seen him in. And I found it incredibly underwhelming. Mm. But I also find that character incredibly underwhelming yeah. as well. Yeah. The thing that I remember most from his character is that he doesn't wear shoes. <laughs> yeah. I, there's a scene of him jumping off a um, onto the back of an eagle. And I noticed that he wasn't wearing shoes. Yeah, it kind of makes a thing out of it a bit, but yeah. not. It's like it seems to like be something else that's on the cutting room floor. Perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it might be that there are characters here, but all their character moments are not in the film. Yeah, or they've been edited out mm-hmm. in the scripting phase. Yeah, or something. Well, it does because the film is quite an incomprehensible mess when it comes to the editing. This film has a third title: Crossfade the movie. <laughs> there are an incredible amount of crossfades. I remember when I first saw it, I came out and spoke to you and it said I started counting how yeah, many crossfades a, a, a there were. Fr- a frustrating amount of crossfades to the point when the first time it happened, I was like, ugh. Yeah. I was like, ugh, what, what, what was that? There's no clearer giveaway in a film of studio meddling than an excessive amount of crossfades. The moment you start noticing, like legitimately yeah, noticing it, crossfades it, it means that something has gone wrong in the editing to be honest it speaks to me that or something has gone wrong in the filming I think and it, the it, writing it, to be honest <laughs> it's, it's more an indication that something has gone wrong after the editing yeah because crossfades are usually used when the structure isn't in place to have that cut yeah so they have to crossfade in order to move the next bit because yeah. there's no you can't even fade to black or anything because there's not enough time to. So, yeah, like, like it's, it's very obvious that they've sped things up. Yeah, whereas scenes should flow into each other, whereas um, here they feel like they've just been crowbarred together. And um, I was talking to you before the podcast as well, in that, especially in regards to the human elements, is that there are some scenes in which um, they have been just cut right down to the bare bones. Mm. There's no atmosphere, there's no character there's a no sense of structure it's literally open on wide cut into close on the character exposition cut back out to wide crossfade to next scene Mm. and that's it and you've got just scenes with primary characters shot with first unit clearly yeah (laughs) that were clearly much longer and they've just been reduced to their bare bones exposition and uh, I feel like that's also where a lot of our issues with our understanding of this world comes from as well. Yeah. It's essentially been edited down, so it's much shorter, but in a way, so that the only people that can really gain anything from it are the people that play the games. Yeah. Which is not going to make the studio much money anyway. No. <laughs> because people who play the games notoriously, when it comes to video game movies, don't turn up to video game movies. No, because they're too busy playing their video games. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like and again it's like why would i want to watch a film of something that i can play yes but yeah it literally it boils it down to a lot of people wearing silly costumes in a generic fantasy room spouting off names and exposition of things we have no idea about yeah uh, and it immediately puts you off i feel like they're in a disney world locker like, room for when the I, staff or when something I was at times wa- yeah when i was watching the film i had to have a, a half an hour break because yeah. I couldn't stomach it. I had a break was... overnight. Yeah. I watched the first half one one night, and then uh, I watched the second half the next morning. In actual film time, this is a sub two-hour film. Yes, it is. So yeah. there's no there's no reason why you should have to have a break. Mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, it isn't like Lord of the Rings where you can have, you know, you should have like an interval, you know, to stretch your legs. Mm-hmm. No, this is, I think I had to have a break after the first 40 minutes. Yeah. I think it actually settles down a little bit after that. It does. But, um, the first, yeah, the first 40 minutes was just really yeah. hard to get through. The first act with the orc stuff, not the not the first act, but the um, the, the opening. The first the, five minutes. Yeah, the first five minutes with the yeah. orc stuff works because you, you feel like, it, it's missing a prologue but you feel like there's not much studio yeah. meddling going on here although, although I, I was a bit confused with the gate thing because i had no idea that the, the orcs were even on a different planet well there's some deleted scenes yeah on, on the blu-ray that i watched there's a lot of deleted scenes including the orcs that are very near completion in terms of cgi and they would improve the film quite a lot because it's like the stuff including the orcs like it was originally supposed to open with yeah, Denatar turning up with his tribe and he has to do battle with another orc in order to um, 
gain permission to enter the gate to be one of the first clans to pass through the gate and i was like oh that's how the film should open because it immediately sets up that these clans are at war with each other as well as soon to be at war with the humans like there is already clear divides between these peoples and also the other thing as well in a deleted scene is there is an orc in the film who you see in one scene and he is like skin colored he has the normal skin tones as everybody else Mm. and then in the next scene he's suddenly green yeah and it's actually a deleted scene completely finished cgi in which you see him they're all around a campfire and are talking about the fell and establishing what the fell is this dark magic that he absorbs and this guy's absorbing it and then he he turns green and he's talking about how much more powerful he is and stuff and denatar turns around and goes yes but you're green and they all laugh and I was like, that is a, that's a scene that should be in the film because yeah. it establishes what the whole issue is with the fell. Yeah, because it made the, the opening narration seem silly as well when he starts talking about, oh yeah, I didn't realise what the thing with the green magic was. And I yeah. was like, what the fuck is this? I know. And even just calling it green magic, because I don't think they even call it the fell for a while. Yeah. And it, I just thought, oh, it's just the green magic. It sounds fucking stupid. And then as the film goes on, it's not quite as stupid as that. But then I was like, there's loads of other inconsistencies because thinking about it now, like there's that whole sequence where you kind of over time realize that the green orcs are the, are the bad ones. Yeah. But it should make you realize that straight away like, mm-hmm. if that's the whole point of it. And I didn't realize that until about half an hour in. I, I didn't really realize that. But there's the that whole the sequence where the, the, the green orcs, they all die mm-hmm. when they're having the, the forest battle. And they oh, all yeah. sort of... But it's not referenced again. And I don't know why that happened. I think it was something that Guardian did. But at the same time, that doesn't make sense for the Guardian's character in terms of what he eventually does. Yeah, it doesn't. And I was like, I thought that was going to be something, but it wasn't. The Guardian character still doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. In terms of... I know that uh, you had issue with the fact that they cast Ben Foster, but I like the fact that they cast somebody young to play this character who is traditionally cast as being somebody ancient yeah. with a long grey beard. Gandalf, essentially. I, I just, um, and I like that they went young with it. Yeah, and I like I just, Ben Foster. I just felt that like with a lot of the characters, they didn't cast people that had enough um, gravitas. Yeah, I knew you were They just say didn't it. have yeah. enough kind of oomph. Yeah. I feel with that Lothar character, you actually, I think you really needed to cast a star in that role to really make it work. Mm-hmm. And you needed somebody that people knew to really kind of at least have some perspective because i feel like the issue with this is and it's kind of in a way is different to the lord of the rings because it isn't as expansive i think the film needed to decide which character it wanted to be the focus on which character it wanted to tell the story through yeah it couldn't i don't think the film could make its mind up in terms of no who the the, who the who story i don't know whose story this was i genuinely think that the strongest story is denethar's i kind of feel yeah i kind of feel like Duncan Jones wanted to tell Denatar's yeah. story, but wasn't fully allowed to. Or no. Even if he managed to get more of it through, it was severely cut back in editing. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the really sad thing about this film, because it feels like, yeah, the most amount of investment has been put into that character, yet the character really feels like a guest in his own film. Yeah, he does, yeah. When we were going back to the marketing of the film, the trailer is told from Denatar's perspective, and it basically makes you think like this is his film. Yeah. When in fact, it's not his film. It starts like it is. Yeah, but, but then it slowly becomes not his film. He becomes mm-hmm. more and more of a background character as the running time goes on. Yeah. As it sort of gets more preoccupied with the human story. And then, yeah, literally, a spoiler alert, he gets killed. I think 35 minutes before the end. Mm-hmm. And for a reason which has very little consequence for the how the rest of the film actually turns no, out. No, for the finale, for as the actual film ends and where it leaves these characters, we are led to believe that his death ultimately doesn't mean much to these people. It almost does. And then there's this battle scene that yeah. stops any kind of development from happening. Yeah. And then it ends with the orcs being still firmly behind this wizardly character yeah it feels like nothing nothing changed yeah. and and again the the decision to make this the beginning and have it establish all this stuff renders that character mm-hmm. completely irrelevant and the whole point of the film kind of I like the way, in a way, that it kind of subverts it, but the subversion doesn't justify itself because what's left isn't compelling enough. You've just got rid of the only compelling part of your film. Yes, yeah. If the other parts of the film had been equally as compelling, it wouldn't have mattered so much and it would have just felt like a subversion. Mm -hmm. But because 
yeah, literally, it's the best part of the film. You've literally just got rid of him half an hour before the end. It's yeah. like, you fools. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like Charlton Heston at the end of yeah. Planet of the Apes. But yeah, it is. You, you blew it up! Yeah. <laughs> God damn you! But it's like, why? It just seemed really foolish. Yeah. yeah. Especially if you like, if you invested that much time in, in, in him. Yeah, well, as I, well, to say something that may be controversial on this podcast, when I first saw this film, I hated it. I think I spoke to you on the phone and yeah, I yeah. said that I detested it and it made me even question Duncan Jones as a filmmaker, which was uh, something huge because he was the only thing that I was going into that film to see was Duncan Jones's big film. And um, I hated it and I was mm. really disappointed in it. Watching it again with no expectations whatsoever. I mean, I, I wasn't expecting it to be good back then either, but this time I knew what to expect. And I went in knowing that the human stuff wasn't going to give me anything. And that helped because <laughs> I actually think that the orc stuff, it comes close to saving the film for me. It doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. I it, mean, it, yeah. It really, it it's does. It's a lot. It's, it's miles, miles more interesting than Yeah. I, than I like the, the idea stuff. of telling it from the refugee's point of view yeah. in a way. And I like the parallels that it draws with the humans and uh, it sets up this main orc as being a family man. I like the relationship that he has with his wife. Everything with the orcs, Considering that they're CGI characters and what's going on there, there's something tangible and uh, uh, there's something that I connect with on an emotional level with them that I don't get from the actual real people in this film. Yeah. And, and that they also have the best CGI as well. Yeah. Because, yeah, there's our moments in the film that are genuinely, like, they look really great. Yeah. Especially at the beginning when they're lying down in the in the little hut. Oh, thing. it's fantastic. Really yeah. Good. And also, I love the design of the orcs. It's, like, mm. really kind of, like, unique. And it does feel, yeah, it does feel like, that's the thing you remember from Warcraft is yes. the look of yeah. the orcs. But at the same time, I feel there's a slight character design issue, whereas I feel like some of the orcs don't feel quite differentiated. No, from no, one no. Another, the, the, there is an I issue. I kind of sometimes forget who's who. The secondary characters is yeah, definitely like an the, issue. The black hand and his mate and stuff. Yes. They kind of look a yeah. little bit too similar to each other. The wife character and obviously the real bad guy, and they're, they're fine. Mm-hmm. But yes, yeah, some of the secondary ones still mm-hmm. they feel a little bit too similar to each other. Yeah, and Denethar's like side character friend. I can the one played by Rob Kaczynski. Rob Kaczynski. Yeah. This, this is his go at the Hobbit that he uh, he never got. <laughs> yeah. Actually, speaking about the CGI, it's weird with this film because there is stuff like that that looks absolutely amazing. Yeah. But it's so inconsistent because there are scenes later on, especially like with the humans when it comes to composition, compositing, sorry, uh, the humans against CGI backgrounds. It looks incredibly fake and incredibly cheap yeah. as well. There are literally scenes in which two characters, for example, early on in a bar are stood at a window and I could see the blue hue of the yeah. blue screen in the back just around the heads. Yeah. And I couldn't believe that for a film of this amount of money, I could see that cheapness. I, I think we're in a, a lost in space situation where did a lot of companies yes. contribute yeah, to the effects? Because usually with big effects films, they're handled by one big company. For example, you know, usually like big film ILM or... Transformers, like or, ILM, or Jurassic or Wetter, Park, or, or, you know. yeah. For certain shots, they're found out to other people, but usually small things. Whereas if it's like a massive conglomerate, and if they've been contracted at different times as well, the quality of the work's going to vary a lot. Yeah, you've got different methods, different systems, and yeah, if if they've literally had different amounts of time to complete yeah. different things, it's going to be a mishmash. And then when you consider as well, when I look at the deleted scenes, which are only add up to about fifteen minutes, there are yeah, scenes it, it, entire if the scene, editing's all over the place as ex- well. Exactly, there are entire scenes with completely finished yeah. CGI. Those are hundreds of thousands of pounds uh, yeah. or dollars wasted yeah and with situations like this you can never ever ever and i feel it's always wrong to you can never blame the effects houses for no, the, definitely these situations because it's not their fault they're already they're up against it even in the best of circumstances yeah. just because of the way that the industry is geared against special effects houses yeah. and so yeah. much more as the years go by so much more yeah. is demanded of them i'm talking to you audience never ever blame bad effects on effects houses because it's usually not their fault yes because we're all good guys yeah and sometimes whoop whoop (laughs) definitely represent representing the the effects massive (laughs) there are cases like the film escape from la john carpenter where the cgi effects are horrendous but they hired this non-tested effects house that hadn't done a film before Mm. and then asked them to pretty much give them the world yeah and they couldn't deliver and i think that like 
seasoned filmmakers should understand straight from the off for what they want to achieve. They need the tested effects houses for those type of films. Let the smaller films build up these other effects houses and whatnot, you know? Let's- yeah, and and, and, to, and again, actually, even going back to Lord of the Rings, this is one of the bad aspects of Peter Jackson, where he never gives his effects teams enough time. Like, I think I knew somebody who knew somebody who worked on the effects for King Kong, yeah. and he basically said, that's an unfinished film. They never finished it. If you watch the production diaries on The Hobbit, yeah, yeah. when it comes to The Desolation of Smaug and Battle of the Five Armies especially, each of those films, they're essentially unfinished yeah. as well. I mean, there's always that adage that art is always unfinished, but, but they're really unfinished. They, yeah, they're really <laughs> unfinished films. Yeah. yeah. They essentially did the best that they could within the time that they had yeah. and ended up cutting scenes because they just didn't have the time to finish yeah. them. This film actually reminds me of Battle of Five Armies in yeah. a way. If well, it's gonna... in terms of what we were talking about, it reminded us of Battle of Five Armies, reminded me a lot of another film that we've covered on this podcast and kind of mentioned already Dungeons and Dragons definitely especially in some of the human elements and um, the whole thing with the golem at the end it really reminded me of Dungeons and Dragons And just some of the character archetypes as well, yeah. like the sidekick, which is the magic guy. Mm-hmm. He reminded me so much of the girl in Dungeons and Dragons. He was kind of an amalgamation of the girl and the guy yes. in Dungeons yeah, and Dragons. Yeah, definitely, uh, yeah. Even down to, like, yeah, the hokey characterization and the kind of, ooh, gee whiz, kind of. <laughs> I think it's a personal thing, but I do have slight issue with American accents in fantasy films, especially fantasy films where the origins are aesthetically European Yeah, because I just have a real hard time getting invested in the world because it always takes me out of it. Mm-hmm. It feels like amateur dramatics. It reminds me of Renaissance fa- Fairs. Yeah, of it does. Yeah. It reminds me of yieldy worldy medieval times. And again, I think that's exacerbated by the production design as well because one of the things, again, we keep referencing Lord of the Rings, but that's going to be the go-to because that is what this film is trying to be. It's trying to be the Lord of the Rings of its day in a way. It's, yeah. it's in in many ways, it's doing its own thing, and it should be doing its own thing as well. It's a lot more colourful, it's going much bigger and much more comic booky, but it's primarily inspired as source material by J.R.R. Tolkien, as is most high fantasy these days. However, going to Lord of the Rings, everything feels grounded. It feels like it's a real place that you could visit, and it's a place that has history. There's nothing in Warcraft that feels like it has any history. It feels like it was built yesterday. It feels like the cities have no personality. And you were even mentioning as well, like there's no idea of um, social divides and class divides and things like that. Everything feels like it's made to a mold. Yeah. And it's not helped by the fact that you never get an idea of the geography of this land. No. And yeah, you get that whole kind of whole fantasy deja vu thing where it's just like the city was storm fucking whatever it's Stormfront, called. Stormfront, is it? Storm- <laughs> Stormfront. No, shit, it's Stormfront. That's something you believe. Oh, fucking hell, yeah. <laughs> but Talking about the alt-right. Yeah, the basic, the city. Stormwind? Stormwind, that's it, yeah, but it basically <laughs> looks like far, far away in Shrek 2. It does! It, yeah. basically, it just looks like, uh, th- there's a, I think I, I was watching a, a YouTube video on Universal Studios Singapore and there's a, a Shrek land there that they built. Is it just playing somebody wants <laughs> just but, constantly, yeah. just hey now, just but, all day but they basically built like far far away and it, it just reminded me so much of that and also do you know where uh, in legoland with the, the the medieval bit of Legoland, oh yeah, yeah yeah it just looked like that it, it just looks like it like it's just th- this is another thing that I, I had real issue with the production design as well because yeah you've got all these american accents which take me out of it but then you've got the, the cast is very multicultural yeah most of the widespread ethnicities are in the background and that's still kind of a weird thing so yeah, you've got like Asian characters, Middle Eastern characters. Basically, All it's, it's alive, very, yeah. it's very kind of inclusive in that way. But they seem so out of place because the architecture is so geared towards solidly European, but in terms of European, yes. like old worldy European, yeah. that it doesn't feel right. And kind of in the history of Warcraft and how it's set out kind of makes sense because obviously there's different continents and people come from all over the place yeah film does not explain that at all and i kind of feel like this is where they maybe could have taken a bit more liberty if they just divorce it slightly yeah. from the game and if you're having all these ethnicities come together why can't the architecture reflect that reflect as well? that yeah because yeah. it makes it feel less weird and also it wouldn't it would make the accents not feel stand out as much exactly either because, yeah and it would feel more its own thing as well because like one of the best examples of that is um big hero six yes where it's yeah. um san francisco 
and it's like a weird mishmash of American and Japanese, and yeah, and it works really well. It does, uh, it does. So yeah, I don't know why they couldn't do something similar. I mean, it might have upset some fans, but I feel like it would make the world one way more unique and less derivative, mm-hmm. and two, just make the whole thing just give it that kind of extra. Um, I do feel like that they were just. This is me just theorizing, but I do feel like Duncan Jones was really up against it. Like he wanted one thing, but they were only giving him so much. Yeah, yeah. And he had already gone as far as to make it about the orcs as much as it is about the humans because as we know sam raimi was actually developing the film originally and he had a script role and he was about to go into production with that and that was just primarily told from the human's point of view the orcs were just seen as the baddies which actually i don't think would have worked because it would have just been too derivative of lord of the rings whereas i love the idea of bringing the orcs into it and making them much like the humans themselves having good and bad amongst them and them being refugees in a desperate situation. But as they're bringing over also their own cultural issues as well to this other land. And I really liked that idea of these two cultures both going head to head. But also finding some common ground amongst them. I really like the idea but the human stuff doesn't just, no. just doesn't work. But I no. feel like Duncan Jones was up against it. Like he'd already been given that much that he couldn't go any further. He was stuck in a situation where it's like, oh, well, we let you have that. So you can't have all of this. <laughs> yeah, I feel like he must have had some like major battles with Blizzard in terms of what he was allowed to do within the property. Mm-hmm. And it feels like they kind of gave him a little bit of rope. But then when it came to the post-production kind of yeah, it back yeah. in again, it's a real compromise film. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like all the, the human side is so dull. Like, and everybody's an archetype yeah. like, of something. Even like Paula Patton's character. I've seen that character so many fucking times. And she looks so goofy as well. Oh, I know. Uh, but she feels so tacked onto the story. I only feel yeah, like yeah. she's actually there to adhere to some source material that I have no idea about because she appears pretty much out of nowhere partway through the film. We don't really get an idea of it. Is she in the prologue at all? She isn't, is she? No, well, she's kind of meant to be a bridge character, isn't she, really? But it's not... I suppose so, yes. She essentially just exists to be a translator, really, between the two. And they try to make her more at times, but because it's so ham-fisted and also so contrived and cliche. And I kind of feel it's almost borderline offensive as well. Because you've basically got Paula Patton, an African-American character, basically playing a savage kind of like person. And I yeah. kind of feel like it, it doesn't feel quite right. It's a go-to for Hollywood. And it's that. just like, yeah, even just like... Even like thinking like of the, the, the whole, likes of Matiri um, in Avatar yeah. as well. It, it seems to be like it's been fetishized, this yeah, idea. Yeah, and it just feels like, you know, that scene that they have where the G-Wiz guy is looking at her and he goes, he yeah. would like to lay with me. And I was like, I've seen this before. Yeah. And there's loads of characters, not even in fantasy as well. It's like you can you just make loads of comparisons, even like um, Seven of Nine out of Star Trek Voyager mm-hmm. is a similar kind of character where you basically got. Is she kind the of, Borg one? Yeah, we've yeah, got yeah. like it's more like humor derived from culture divide, and it's like this is kind of it's probably one of the more humorous parts of the film. But at the same time, it doesn't really entirely work. No, kind of, no. And it's like yeah, we've seen I've seen all this shit before, and a teeth look really stupid. Ah. Oh couldn't get it and like especially <laughs> when they had the romance scene i was like how the fuck is he gonna kiss her yeah <laughs> and also like that romance scene comes out complete out of nowhere and it's yeah. never referenced ever again yeah like it, was, it felt like, like a studio tick <laughs> oh talking as well of things that appear out of nowhere most of the movie i mean the golem is set up at least but what the fuck why is there a golem in this film like this the, or golem or whatever it's called the big clay, like clay mon- thing the clay monster yeah you look like an, uh, a reject from frozen <laughs> he did and the CGI in it looked awful because there's no texture or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. But what was the whole deal with that? It just seemed like an excuse to keep... It was so obvious as well that he was going to come alive at some point as well. Yeah. Like, just in the background. But that also ties into the whole Guardian thing that I was I meant to mention earlier is that character I have such an issue with because I still have no idea what his motivation was. What's happened with him in regards to the Fell, whether or not the Fell is an actual conscious that's corrupted him or something like that. I have no idea if he's actually in control of himself or not. I essentially don't get that character. Yeah, you, you had no idea of the human characters anyway. But by the end of it, you should know. Yeah. You should know, oh, so that's what was going on this whole yeah. time. I still don't know. But it feels so spectacular in, in its human characters that, like, there's that moment where the kind of lead guy's son gets killed. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why is this here? And it's telegraphed the from film, so early the, the, on. The son well. didn't need to be in it anyway. Yeah. The guy didn't even look old enough to be his father. I know. He He's really like, didn't, did he? And I was he just really like, did not. What, he's his dad? What the fuck? Yeah. I'm actually going to call that guy not Alexander Scott. 
Skarsgård because it may as well been. I kept thinking about it watching this film that it should have been Alexander Skarsgård. And it, or... it's funny that Alexander Skarsgård was in mute the, yes. the film directly following this, and it's like maybe he wanted him in this film, but it wasn't <laughs> it available. Does, it, yeah, it does feel. I didn't even realise that the guy was Australian. I thought he was Scandinavian. He's Australian. He's Australian. Yeah, I thought I he was Scandinavian. Up. I looked him up afterwards, and I was like, this guy's Australian. He obviously, looks very Scandinavian because yeah, he he's in yeah. Vikings. But yeah. what kind of accents he doing? It's weird. It's like yeah, yeah. It's a strange accent. I couldn't place it. I no. just I, I just thought it was Scandinavian. Maybe he was just doing cod European. Maybe they maybe they just said do what you do in Vikings. Yeah, yeah. I imagine that's what would happen. I imagine so. Yeah. Yeah, he just didn't have the kind of charisma and gravitas to really. I mean, he had nothing to work with anyway. But for example, yeah, no screen presence. Yeah, it's like if it. you, yeah. it's like that kind of thing. Though, if you give Michael Caine a shit script, you still want to watch Michael Caine. Yes, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, 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 I feel like there weren't enough actors like that yeah. that can just pull off any old shit. I would term Toby Kebbell in that area because he really needs to fire his agent. He keeps consistently being the best thing in really shitty movies. What, you're telling me that Hurricane Heist <laughs> is a really shitty movie? Yeah. <laughs> That's his, his latest cinematic endeavor. Yeah, he totally needs the, to... Oh, sorry, sorry. The Hurricane oh, Heist. He totally needs to fire his agent. He really does. Because he is genuinely the stuff with Denethar and... Even Rob Kaczynski, and I love the relationship that he has with his wife, the old character, the yeah. kind of, they're the only characters as well, this this trio that feel like there's any connection between them. Yeah. Like, say there's something tangible there. He he really fucking works in this film. Yeah. Even when he turns up as an old wizard later yeah. on to, what's the whole shit with the wizards and Glenn Close? Yeah. Uh, and he really is the next Andy Serkis. Yeah. Really, because he's he's that good, and obviously he's been in films with because yeah. he was Cobra in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and... Kong in Skull Island. Was he Kong? I thought Terry Notary was Kong. They shared. Um, oh, credit. shared it. Yeah. All oh, um, right. Toby Kebbell's in the film. Yeah, yeah. But he think... also provides all of the facial motion right. capture okay. for so Kong. Like a... But yeah. I think Terry Notary is the actual physical like fighting. Yeah, because he worked on this film as well, didn't he? He did. Yeah. Movement guy. Yeah. But like him. Terry and, and Andy that kind of like the motion capture posse yes definitely. and he kind of should be doing more stuff like that but in good films Terry's an actor I actually want to see in more stuff yeah where, where he doesn't play an ape yeah <laughs> but even in like fan four stick like mm. his portrayal of Doctor Doom is I mean that's the bit that people always go to it's the bit I remember most from and that it's film and it's like the best bit of the film yeah definitely um, and it's his bit so yeah and just yeah he just needs to be in better stuff he does he's doing a bit of a fast bender at the moment <laughs> he is he's enjoying the fast bender period of his the, career the fast bender experience yeah. <laughs> that sounds wrong <laughs> <laughs> he's pulling a fast bender <laughs> um, yeah. So box office. Let's talk about box office yeah. for a second before we wrap up on this one because it is going on. I think we've covered the salient aspects of, yeah. of the film. Like we could go in further depth because there is like every facet of it. Something's gone wrong. Yeah. Basically, they should have just made a film about Denatar. That was the story to tell, and I think by the time that they released the film, they knew it because yeah. they marketed it that way. Yeah. So box office. This film, I would actually say, it's not a success. It's not a success because it only made forty-eight million in America. So domestically, only made forty-eight million on a hundred and sixty million dollar budget. But actually, overall, it made four hundred and thirty-three point seven million dollars. Yeah, because but there's, there's, there's a big butt in there. There is there? a massive butt. I mean, I like big butts. It's not orc size, but, but yeah. <laughs> studios clearly like big butts. Um, <laughs> a lot of that came from China, and there's yeah. definitely a question mark over the validity of some of those China dollars, apparently. I remember when it first came out, it was like the biggest opening weekend for a film ever in China, but there was something to do with a ticket token thing that was going on yeah. at the time. So it was almost like manufactured that way, but still it was a huge success in China and then had a huge drop off as well. Yeah. And also as well, I feel like the emphasis on China has gone down a bit as well, like recently, like because the Chinese economy is going down a little bit and also they're realizing in terms of if, even if it does really well in China, the actual amount of money they're taking back isn't that great. Yeah, they take some of like, 20% yeah, less than what they and would it's say. Like, so they're like, hmm, this isn't like, yeah, it's not playing as well. It's However, this was a joint China production, so they yeah, do yeah. take a more considerable amount back yeah. from this film. But at the same time, it just feels like the sequel rumblings seem to have died off quite they a lot. They do. They do. But this is um, a success in the same way that Pacific Rim was. Yeah. And yet we are... We, I, I, think, I think if there was going to be a sequel, we would know about it already. Yeah. And they, they do keep <laughs> rumbling about it. They do keep every now and again saying maybe. Yeah, it might be one of the 
those belated sequels that's kind of a reboot yeah yeah again uh, like, maybe moves like the, the incredible yeah, Hulk last week the, either sort of moves the action on so world of warcraft so yeah or completely just ignores the first film entirely yeah. and just starts again there is space to do that because world of warcraft the video game the most kind of popular warcraft video game actually takes place it's to do with um denethar's son so yeah. there is definitely space to just pick up a future film completely different characters focus on that son character yeah as, a, as an adult mm. So, yeah, not a failure, not a success, somewhere in between. I'd yeah. say somewhere on the lower end of in between. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, the critics' consensus, as with most video game movies, was uh, pretty dire. 28% of Rotten Tomatoes. However, 77% audience score and 6.9 out of 10 on IMDb. I imagine many, many World of Warcraft fans just clicking repeatedly. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I've, got, I've got to say, it, it's got to be the game has a huge fan base. It's one of the biggest played games ever. I imagine that if you know exactly what this film is about, if you bring all of that with you, you can get something out of it. Yeah, it might be a little reverse of uh, The Last Jedi situation where lots of accounts were created and then discarded. I imagine so, actually. I actually thought about that when I looked at it because it's the only way it makes sense. But I've I've seen a couple of impassioned defenses of this film on YouTube, but I think that you have to bring so much baggage to it that yeah. for me, the film goer, the average film goer, it doesn't make sense and it isn't worth it. Yeah. It isn't worth me doing all of that homework. Nobody should have to do that much homework for a film. No. The film should do it for you. Yeah, it should speak for itself. So on that note, it's time to ask the questions. Are you any closer to understanding why Warcraft has been forgotten or why we haven't got a sequel yet? Sure I do. <laughs> <laughs> Bar a few moments in the orc sequences, it just wasn't a pleasurable watching experience. Mm. And that's kind of the, the borderline you want out of watching a film, even yeah. if it's kind of like, you know, it's got to make you feel something other yes. than just yeah. like dread. <laughs> for the next scene coming up because of the, you know i mean any you know it gotta make you feel something like it's gotta be sort of entertaining yeah, give me something to invest in like, yeah uh and it kind of yeah it really fails it on that quite hugely and actually comes off as quite mean-spirited that the only character that you do connect with is the one that dies horribly yeah so early on relatively speaking um and then we're left with a lot of characters that we don't yeah, actually like cheated yeah, uh, and, and I get that it's true to the source material that way. I think it's also as well like the fact that... The, but it the feels ba- mean. Because the bad guy, it just doesn't. there's no repercussions to him at all Yeah. by the end. It's like, because the film is that arrogant yeah. to think that the sequel's guaranteed, that, oh, we'll deal with that in the next one. I'm fed up of films that tell half stories. And there's yeah. so much story or exposition in this film that they could have told several stories, but at least give us a solid, like, beginning middle and end with your first film you've you've just got to do that yeah because you can do that with the other films but with the first one you cannot assume yeah that there's going to be another one because it just has to work on its own terms self-contained i mean that's it with fellowship of the ring as well is i feel like there are characters in that film there's an emotional journey that feels like it reaches a natural conclusion at the end of the fellowship of the ring and when by the time the two towers starts we're beginning another emotional journey for these characters because even the two towers kind of works on that front there's stories that begin and end in that middle film yeah it even has its own sort of central villain that it kind of defeats by the end of the thing so yeah they do feel fellowship we have that uruk hai yeah the lurts lurts yeah yeah. so yeah they yeah they do and this one just doesn't it just feels so open-ended yeah to the point where it's like yeah there was no it's lazy it was lazy and arrogant really Mm. and is warcraft one of the best of the forgotten movies or should it simply remain best forgotten best forgotten i would maybe look at some youtube videos if there's a compilation of all the danatar <laughs> scenes there's probably a good 40 minute because yeah it's quite i say the danatar character is really good and it looks really good and yeah it's played really well but yeah everything outside of that is just guff i will say that considering that i hated this film on first watching it including all of the denatar stuff because i was so angered by what was going on with the human characters yeah, yeah. and because i was felt so overwhelmed by stuff that i didn't understand and by mcguffin shit that i just could not follow watching it the second time the fact that i responded so much that i did to the orc stuff on an emotional level is a real success in my eyes it's like fucking hell i can at least take something away from this film i don't think it even approaches being a good film but i'm still surprised by how much those scenes improved for me Mm. however i will not be viewing it again (laughs) i will probably maybe like you say watch some of the denisar stuff on youtube i still have no impetus to view this world any further or no. to delve into the world of Warcraft because it's not a very good advert for Warcraft, is no, it? No, <laughs> no, it isn't. 
And and for that reason, I do think it should remain best forgotten. Yeah. I like I say, the orc stuff at times comes close to saving the film for me. But the, everything else is, and I say it again, so aggressively dull and so impenetrable. It is a soup of a film. A soup that I mentioned in my tweets when I first saw it. One part, Battle of Five Armies. Another part, John Carter of Mars, or John Carter, mm-hmm. um, with a sprinkling of Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. the movie, over the top. That is it. Without any of the enjoyable camp. So yeah, for me, it's best forgotten. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Can't really argue <laughs> with that. Yeah, it's definitely a dumpster film. And that's all we have time for on this week's episode of Best Forgotten Movies. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at B4Movies. So please do get in touch with suggestions for possible episodes. Also, if you have the time to help us continue to grow our fan base, please rate and subscribe to our podcast page found in the iTunes store. Join us next week when we'll be taking on not one incomprehensible Matrix sequel, but two incomprehensible Matrix sequels as we take on the Matrix sequels. (laughs) And for fans of our review of Bill and Ted, don't worry, we've not forgotten about it. We've just reshuffled the schedule. So we'll be doing that later. I meant to mention that much earlier (laughs) in the episode. Bill and Ted will be coming. I did mention it on my Twitter page. I'd hope they won't be coming. (laughs) Bill and Ted. Excellent. They're just coming everywhere. We've just had a schedule reshuffle. It it does have its own place and it will still be on the schedule. So don't worry about that. But next week it is The Matrix Sequels. Yay! Two films for the price of one podcast episode. Oh, three, really. Three, yeah. Fuck. Might as well do the whole franchise. (sighs) Thanks, Gaz. My idea as well. This is your idea as well. You should do more of my ideas. (laughs) My ideas are better. Your ideas are coming. My ideas are Bill and Ted. But until then, it's bye from myself. And au revoir from Andy. Cheers. Thanks for listening.